Good morning. Uh, won't you open your Bibles with me up to page 624, and we're going to read Psalm 145 from verse 1 to verse 13. I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every time I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. Well, as Chris mentioned before, today we're looking at things just slightly differently this morning. Over the last nine weeks, we've been working our way through a series on discipleship. We've been together looking at what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and we've covered things like what it means to be bold in mission, or loving in service, or dependent in prayer. We've looked at what it means to be saved by grace, and that's just a few of the things that we've been looking at over the last nine weeks weeks. And today we conclude our time looking at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in this series by seeing that Jesus' disciples are those whose lives overflow with praise. And so Chris mentioned earlier that uh, this morning we're going to sing a few more songs, so I'm going to get up and talk to you twice, but don't worry, there'll be short talks both times. I just want to share some thoughts on what I think it means to praise our God to extol his name, to tell of his mighty deeds, to remind each other that our God is indeed good and that he's deserving of our commendation. God is worthy of our praise, isn't he? Do you know that this morning? Do you feel that? This morning I'd love us to see three things that relate to our praise and the praiseworthy nature of God. Firstly, I want to see that he is worthy of praise simply because he is God. That's his status. So while we are just created beings, he is God and he is eternal. He is the one who rules. His very substance, his nature is worthy of our praise. Secondly, I want us to see that he's worthy of our praise because of what he's done and what he's doing in the world. He's a God of goodness and love and self-giving. Yet he's also mighty and powerful beyond mere words. In a few moments when I get back up again, 
in my second talk, I want you to see that we should praise God because of what He's been doing and has done for us in our own lives. He's saved us. The majestic creator, the powerful God, He's acted in our lives to save us. We're going to begin this morning, though, by looking at Psalm 145. Mel read it before. It's a magnificent psalm of praise. If you've got your Bibles there, I'd love you to open them to page 624, because we'll look at this psalm together. But as you're turning there, I'd love you just to think in your minds for a minute. Who do you think is worthy of our praise in the world today? And what makes them worthy of that praise? Normally, I think we praise people in our world today because of what they've done. I can remember going to the cricket many years ago and sitting in the crowd and hearing them chant out Shane Warne's name. Warney, Warney, the crowd was yelling. The crowd was showing their praise for Australia's best-known spin bowler. Perhaps you're not into sport. Some of you might not be. I can remember as a first-year engineering student sitting in the Flory Lecture Theatre at Adelaide University. And I can remember one of the lecturers in these first few lectures that I ever did at university talking and praising Howard Flory, a man who was born in Adelaide, was a co-discoverer of penicillin, a man who's credited with saving over 200 million lives because of his work in identifying what penicillin does. Today, it's hard to imagine a world without antibiotics, isn't it? My lecturer that day was praising Howard Florey, holding him up as a great scientist and saying to us as first-year university students, follow in his footsteps. To compare those people, Warney and Howard Florey, for a minute with God, God is praiseworthy not just because of what he's done, but also because of who he is. I think the closest we probably get to in human terms is thinking about someone like the royal family. Now, you might argue that the royal family have done some good things. I'm not quite sure what they are, but we still praise them, and we praise them because of who they are, because of their position more than their actions, don't we? It's a status thing. God is worthy of our praise because he is our God. David knows that. In Psalm 145, we see his praise for God ring out. Let me read to you from verse 1. He says, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. You see in these words how familiar God is to David. Verse 1, he says, I will exalt you, my God. My God, he says. He's speaking of the God he knows, a God he calls his own, and he knows his God to be his king. In other words, David has placed his confidence and his allegiance in the hands of a God, a God who he will praise forever and ever, a God whose name he will extol. And he does it because of who God is, the Lord, the one most worthy of praise, the one whose greatness no one can fathom. It's not, of course, that David ignores the works of God. Indeed, in verse 5, we see him go on to meditate on those works. But can you see in these first three verses of the psalm, David praising God for who he is, King, 
eternal, great, and therefore most worthy of praise. Of course, we can't separate God's substance from his actions, can we? Indeed, David goes on in verse 4 to say, One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. Mighty acts in verse 5 that demonstrate the glorious splendor and majesty of God. Awesome works that in verses 6 and 7 demonstrate God's abundant goodness and righteousness. He's a God of fame and a God of glory, but for all the right reasons. Here is a God whose kingdom is everlasting, a God whose dominion endures through all generations. And yet despite his greatness, despite his status as God, you see he's also gracious and compassionate. You see that in verse 8? He's slow to anger and rich in love. And he's a God who upholds all who fall. What if that's you today? Do you feel like you've fallen today? Are you bowed down by the pressures of the world? See here, our God, the King, the one who is himself praiseworthy, he upholds us. Worthy of our praise, isn't he? He's the one before whom earthly kings and nations tremble. He is the one who is seated on the throne. And to him nothing can compare. He's worthy because of who he is, worthy because of how he acts, and worthy because these things demonstrate his faithfulness and his compassion. We're going to keep singing to our God, our God who is worthy of praise. We're going to open our Bibles again, uh, this time to Colossians. If you open up your Bible to page 1182... And we will be reading from chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. And now if you would please just turn over the page and we will read Colossians chapter 3, 15 to 17. 
Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thanks again, Mel. Well, when we were looking at the first three verses of Psalm 145, we saw David praising God because of who he is. I wonder if you notice a similar thing happening in Colossians chapter 1 as Mel read it to us. It's on page 1182, if you want to follow along. Can you see in verse 15 of chapter 1 of Colossians, the status of Jesus being described? He's the firstborn over all creation. Indeed, creation, that's the heavens and the earth, the things that we see and the things that we can't, they were created through Jesus. And not only that, they were created for him. Can you see the idea that we saw before? Jesus being worthy of our praise because of who he is. Have a look with me at verse 17. It says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. He's praiseworthy because of who he is. That's supreme. And yet Paul He's the writer of this letter to the Colossians. He knows that Jesus is not only praiseworthy because of his status, he's praiseworthy because of what he's done, particularly what he's done for us, those who put our trust in Jesus. That is, he's brought about our reconciliation to God. Let me read on from the end of verse 19, because for me, how Jesus has acted for me, this really drives me to praise. It says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that's Jesus, and through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Here's what that means for us. We who put our trust in Jesus, set out clearly here by the Apostle Paul, we were once alienated from God, enemies in our own minds because of our evil behavior. But now he has reconciled us by Jesus' body, his body that was broken on the cross, so that we, through his death, might be holy, holy in the sight of God. I think we need to kind of pause here for a minute, slow down and just consider the enormity of what Paul is saying here. Because of Jesus' death, we are presented in God's sight as holy, without blemish, free from all accusations. This is what we call the good news of the gospel, isn't it? Because of Jesus' death, we are presented as holy in God's sight, without blemish, free from all accusations. What if you notice in this passage as well that there's an if There's an if in this passage, isn't there? Scholars call it a a conditional clause. It's kind of a sobering kind of way of putting it. 
But Paul, I think, wants us to see that his words here need to be taken with some seriousness. See, the if statement, its kind of effect is that we'll stay holy in his sight, we'll stay without blemish and free from accusation if, if we continue in faith, established and firm. And so the right question for us to ask this morning is how do we do that? How do we ensure that our kids and our friends and our family, how do we ensure that they stay established and firm in their faith? It's a good question for us to ask, isn't it? And at least part of the answer lies ensuring that we steep ourselves in the message of Christ. That we steep ourselves in the glory of his substance, in the glory of his character, in the majesty of his work. That is, that we'll let the message of the good news of the gospel constantly wash over us. That's why I asked Mel to read to us from Colossians chapter 3. Have a look if you turn over the page to verse 16. And here Paul says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Can you see what Paul's saying here? He's exhorting us, isn't he? He's encouraging us to let the message of Jesus, that's the good news of the gospel, be spoken of and sung of and told and proclaimed and done over and over again. It's to be done with richness and with a variety of different means, through psalms and hymns and songs. And so in a way then, our singing this morning, our singing of the praise of God and our prayers to him, is a way of us teaching and admonishing one another to help us keep strong in the faith. I hope that's what you want today. To see that our praise helps us also. Helps to remind us of the message of Christ. Helps us to remember that we are forgiven because he was forsaken. Helps us to remember that we're alive today and well today because we've been given His Spirit. Our songs help to remind us of the character of God. Our songs help to remind us of His kindness and His compassion and His love. Our songs that we sing help to remind us that our God is our Creator. He's our King. And yet even in that lofty status as Creator and as King, He died for us, reconciled us, made us blameless and holy and free from accusation. He did it because of his love for us. That's amazing love, isn't it? That our king would die for us. And so it should be our joy to praise our king, to sing of his mighty status and his wonderful deeds and his work in forgiving us through the cross. We're going to do that in just a minute. Let me pray for us before we do that. Gracious God, we have so much to thank you for, for our life and for our health and for our safety and for all that's beautiful in this creation. But above all, we thank you for your son, Jesus. What amazing love that our King would die for us. What amazing love that you would give as a gift to us, your spirit. What amazing love that you would allow us to share in your glory in the life that is to come. And so, Father God, please fill us with praise for you, and may our hearts be at rest in your joy and peace. Amen.